0: Amen, y'all. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God for the new addition West to the team of Doxa. I always thought Jeremiah was the most energetic and expressive. I think he might be challenged here soon. (laughs) Uh, So I'm excited to see him up there and praising the Lord and worshiping with Doxa. Uh, honestly, I'm just excited to be in the house of God. Y'all, how many people with me right there? Amen. 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 Yeah, I had a good trip to California, uh, but it was it was tough with all that was going on around the country. Not being in the house of God, to be able to mourn with you guys and, and even celebrate with you guys, um, it's, it, it, was, it was difficult. So I'm just excited to be back here and get the wonderful privilege of bringing forth the word of God this morning. So... Why don't we go ahead and grab our Bibles? Uh, We're going to be in 1 John chapter 5, I mean chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. If you got it, say amen. If you don't got it, say hold on. Oh, that's a lot of hold ons All right. So we're going to wait for a little bit. If you don't mind standing with me for the reading of the word. I do. right, we're going to do it real, real loud right here. Send the first service so Diamond Street can hear us. We got a lot more people here, so I want to make it to Susquehue on this one. So on three, one, two, three. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Keep reading. Mm-hmm. And it us from all our yeah. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Amen. Amen. I want to tag this text, true fellowship. Amen. Simply true fellowship. Why don't you help me introduce this text? Look at one neighbor, say true. true. And then look at the other person and say fellowship. fellowship. Amen. Let's go before the Father. Father, we love you so much because you decided to have fellowship with those who are unworthy. Uh, You decided to come down and and enter into relationship with those who were rebelling against you. You decided to love on those who only wanted to do that which was opposite of your will and your purposes. And because of that, you've given us a new heart to love you, to commune with you, to want to be with you. To, to forever have this relationship that thrives to celebrate you. And so we love you today. We just pray that we will be introspective today. Let us keep our lenses upon ourselves and not on our neighbor. And uh, we ask all these things. And the only name that can actually accomplish what we ask. The name of the Lord, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. I want to quote to you from Pastor Larry's book, Jesus Life Here. Chapter 9, he has a, a chapter called Becoming a Serial Repenter. Chapter called Becoming a Serial Repenter, being one who is continuously repenting. And I think it's fitting for when we're talking about this idea of true fellowship to use Pastor Larry's story of when he thought he had fellowship with God, but he was mistaken. Look at what that looks like. He says this. He says, I was an 18-year-old freshman in college. I was raised in a religious home and considered myself a Christian. So we're going to put that in our our heads right there. He said, I hoped I would go to heaven and thought that I probably would. My hope was based largely upon my self-made mathematical equation that saw my sin as not really being all that bad. I was a pretty good guy in my estimation, and certainly not as bad as some others I knew. Anybody ever been there before? On the whole, I was thinking that God would probably be making a wise decision if he led a nice guy like me into his heaven. He goes on, goes to school. He has two roommates, one who relentlessly pursues Jesus, and he sees it in the way he prays. He sees it in the way he fellowships with the saints. He sees it in the way that he reads his scripture. But then he has another roommate who quite like Pastor Larry at this time, who was religious on Sundays, but all throughout the week that was dedicated to him. So this man's name is Sam. He said, I saw Sam's lifestyle of partying and carousing with other women and something deep inside of me knew that it was wrong and I should not give myself to it, but I did anyway. I was away from home and had freedom to experience life for the first time without restraints. I failed miserably, I failed miserably, and if that wasn't enough, I sinned fervently. Now, peep, peep, peep what he just said here, he started off by saying, I considered myself a Christian, and then the very last thing he says is that I sinned fervently. And what First John wants us to realize is that if we're going to say we have actual relationship with the one who is the Lord Jesus Christ, these two things don't coexist. There is something about a person who meets Jesus that changes everything about your life. Absolutely everything. And so as we look at this passage in 1 John, starting at uh, verse 5, he says this. He says, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. Somebody say, "God God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. So everything in this passage is going to be coming from this one statement, God is light. You can almost insert a therefore right after this because everything else only makes sense if this is true. So what does it mean that God is light? It means that God is the absolute standard of all that is good and true. God is the absolute standard of all that is good and true. When we talk about God's truthfulness, we're not just talking about he's honest, but we're talking about the fact that God exposes things for what they actually are. God exposes things for what they actually are. And so if we talk about morality and we're talking about ourselves apart from God, there is no morality. If we're talking about trying to make sense out of life, trying to make sense out of all the things that we see in the world, and it's not founded upon God who is light, then whatever sense we've made out of the world is built on false premises. If we try to make sense out of our own lives, out of the hurts and the pains that we've experienced, and we're not beginning with the one who is light, the one who is the source of all goodness and truth, we are going to create some kind of sense of identity around victimization, Or around some sense of, I'm not that bad either. But it's not going to be holistic and true in its nature because it's not founded upon the right premises. God is like the absolute standard of all that is good and true. What I love about this is that God is not only a God of goodness, but he's a God of revelation. God doesn't just create things good. He doesn't just speak into the world good things, but he also wants to reveal himself through those things. Look back at Genesis 1. We all know the end of the passage where he says that, yeah, it was good. And then he created man and woman. And we love that because then he said it was very good. But verse 3 says, let there be light. Now, can you imagine God creating heaven and earth, Jupiter, Mars, grass, flowers, giraffes, zebras, Australia, and Antarctica. All these incredible things. Yet if he never placed verse 3 in there, let there be light. Let these things be visible. Let these things be seen. All of the wonders of God's incredible imagination and his inconceivable intellect would be invisible to us. But we have a God who not only creates good things, but he wants to reveal himself through it. We have a God who's not so mysterious and transcendent that he's not willing to come down and reveal himself to broken people. God is a God who is light. Now with that being our premise, he says if we say we have fellowship with him, we should be reflectors of that light. We should be reflectors of that light. We can't say that we have fellowship with the one who is all those things that we groan and celebrate for. And yet our lives look nothing like that light. God is light. And so I got two points for you today. Real simple. If we say we have fellowship with him, we pursue righteousness. And if we say we have fellowship with him, we expose our sin. If we say we have fellowship with him, we pursue righteousness. And if we say we actually have fellowship with him, we expose our sin. Let's look at the first one here real quick. Starting at verse 6, it says, If we say we have fellowship with him, while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus. His son cleanses us from all sin. If we have fellowship with him. And so the key point here is, what is fellowship? Well, fellowship simply means a participation in a loving relationship. Actually participating in a loving relationship. And when you participate in a relationship, it means you are invested in that relationship. When you invest in something, when that goes down, when that's hurt, you're also hurt. I remember reading something about the stock market crash in 2009, suicides went up, almost 5,000 more people killed themselves. What hurt them the most is that they were invested in something that just crashed. All of their investment was there, pained them. There's something about when you're invested in something that it does something to you. Uh, And this is a hard one for me to tell. But I'll let you know, um, <laughs> I've been crying all the time recently. Just for no reason. I've been watching commercials and I've been boohooing. Like, it could be about gum, it could be about beer. And I'm just like, I can't believe Coors Light said it like that. <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't matter right now. I, I hate to admit this right here. I cried off a of sister act too recently. <laughs> I, mean, I was looking at. And them, and she was just like, If you wanna be somebody, you wanna go somewhere. You better wake up and pay attention. And I'm sitting by my wife, I'm like, Yeah, that's, that's what's up right there. That's cool, that's cool. I mean, I'm bawling my eyes out. One other time I cried recently, it was when my, my wife and my kids got the chance to drop me off at my parents' house so I can be away to study for school uh, for a week. And that was tough. And I I thought I was going to be able to hold it together. I was doing real good, kissed my wife, all of that. And I could feel it. My chest just starting to come up. And so I go to the back seat, and then I kiss my son, my six-year-old son, on his forehead. And that's when the tears just started to flow uncontrollably. And I just could not contain myself. I mean, I was sobbing, snotting. (laughs) Y'all know what that's like. And I opened my eyes for a second and I saw my son's tears and I was like, I got to get out of here because if he's starting to well up, it's just going to make it worse. So I run in the house I'm like, babe, I see you just drive off, drive off, drive off, drive off. <laughs> it's like one of those movie moments. And I'm, I'm, I'm in the car. I mean, I'm in the house now and she calls me. He says he's been sobbing for the last 20 minutes. And what I realized in that moment is not only that I as a father was participating in a relationship with my son, but my son had truly participated in a relationship with his father to the point that what hurt his father hurt him. John says that if we have a relationship with God, what pleases God should please us and what pains and hurts God should hurt us. That's what true fellowship looks like. So he says, if we have fellowship, if we say we have fellowship with him who is light, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We can't be walking in darkness and yet saying that we have fellowship with the one who is very light himself. And here's what I want us to understand real quick. John is not foolish about what darkness is. He does not think that darkness is any sin. Because if darkness was any sin, all of us would be walking in darkness because all of us sin. And he even goes on to say that if you say you haven't sinned, you're a liar. So you're a liar if you walk in darkness and you're a liar if you say you haven't sinned. So we got to figure out what is the nuance in this darkness. Well, darkness here is the antithesis of that which is righteousness and light. That if light means all that is good and true, darkness means all that is evil and secretive. And here's what's crazy about darkness when it comes to evil. Darkness is when someone consistently, intentionally sins without conviction, confliction, or confession. When someone continuously, intentionally sins without conviction, confliction, or confession. Conviction, that sense in your soul that the Spirit of God gives. That what you have done or what you're about to do displeases God and therefore displeases you. Confliction, being in conflict, not only does it not please you, but there's a wrestle going on. I want to do righteousness, but I also feel this tug of my flesh. There should be a wrestle going on. And confession. Those who walk in fellowship with God expose themselves. When we walk in darkness, we walk in intentional sin without conviction, confliction, or confession. Is that you? Now let's peep this. What is this type of sin look like? What does it actually look like? Well, it looks like three things. Minimization of sin, minimization of God, and then embracing sin as an identity. Minimizing sin, saying things like, well, I know the Bible in Genesis says it's wrong. Okay. I also know it says it's bad in Leviticus. Paul in Romans says it's wrong, but Jesus doesn't really bring it up. And so we make gray areas out of things that are clear, black and white. That's minimizing sin. When we say the worst of all, and and here's the theme. We're in a society that does this all the time, right? Our society thrives on minimizing sin. (laughs) Calling things decent that are disgusting. I mean, just think about this. The the naked exposure and exploitation of a young woman, we call it a gentleman's club. I'm pretty sure that anyone who's going in there is far from a gentleman. Gentle? When we call the dismantling and murder of a child simply because it's hidden by the mother's womb an abortion like we're aborting a mission. You're killing a person. Or even worse, women's rights. When we call the killing of a child women's rights, the last time I saw that murder was a right was in a movie called Purge. And they at least only got to kill for a day. And yet in our society, we can call murder something as good as women's rights. So we're saturated in this darkness. And the big idea behind this minimization of sin is when we personally say sin can't be that bad. Just can't be that bad. Listen, just peep this. If God said, Dying you shall die to Adam for eating from the fruit of a tree then surely you're lying and your arrogance and your fornication and everything else that we do, even as Christians, is bad. It's that bad. This is how bad sin is. That in God's economy, that the only way to pay for sins against an eternal God, he only gives two options. Either the eternal Son of God dies for your sins, or you die for your sins eternally. It's the only two options. There would have to be more options if sin wasn't that bad. And how dare we who say we have fellowship with him minimize what Jesus had to do on the cross. Walking in the light, another way this darkness shows itself up is in minimizing God. And minimizing God basically just simply looks like when we take all the other attributes of God, throw them away, and say the only attribute that God is is love. Not justice, not righteousness, not holiness, just love. The one we like the most. And we say things, and it's all really premised upon this ridiculous idea that somehow God's love means that he's not just and he's not righteous is he not holy he has to be one of the other so we say things like only God can judge me and we say it as we pump our chest like that's good news or something and we say things like God knows my heart As if God is in heaven impressed with your heart. Like, I love the heart of recap. How wonderful his heart is. I wish I made all other hearts just like his. When he gets cut off on the 76, and he wants to stick that finger in the air to the person who cut him off. I know that it's only because he wants to point them to my glorious riches in heaven. How wonderful is the heart of ReCab? When he yells at his kids in the backseat of his ultima for spilling crumbs, I know it's only because he wants to show them the righteous indignation of God. He's discipling his kids. I'm impressed with ReCab's heart. How wonderful is the heart of ReCab? God is not impressed with any of our hearts. That's why he had to give us new ones. The last thing that darkness looks like, looks like embracing sin as an identity. Something that God clearly spells out is disgusting to him. We say that that's just who I am. And we always go the homosexual route, right? But I know way more straight dudes who say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but this fornication thing, this is just me. God made me, I just can't have just one. This is just the way he made me. If he wanted me not to do this, he would have made me different. Embracing sin is an identity. And in all of these things, in all of these ways when we pursue darkness, in all of these ways when we're walking in darkness, the one caveat, the one thing that clarifies all of these things is the fact that Those who walk in darkness would rather pursue excuses for sin rather than an execution of sin. You're pursuing excuses consistently instead of calling a spade a spade? See, especially when these injustices are going on, it's easy for us to call a spade a spade out there but not in here. We want to expose all the darkness outside of us and yet in our hearts, we rebel against God and don't confess. We walk through life like it's okay. And yet we want to call it wrong out there. Michael Jackson said it best, right? If you want to make a change, the world a better place, you got to look at yourself. Starting with the man in the mirror. Back to square one we got to look introspectively before we can go out there and judge anything. Where is your fellowship with God today? Do you have one? Now on the flip end, he says this, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus. His son cleanses us from all sin. What a wonderful truth. That if we walk in the light... As he is also in the light. What does walking in the light mean? It looks like walking in repentance and faith. Saying the same thing about your sin that God does. And saying, Thank you, Jesus, that you paid it all. We don't fight to take care of ourselves. We don't fight to cleanse ourselves from sin. We just abide in Him. And He does the rest. Isn't that amazing? He says, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Some of you in here today, if somebody were to ask you, how's your relationship with God? You say, boom, boom, great." And then he would say, well, how's your relationship with the church? I don't have one, not looking for one. But in the text, it says, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That an actual, real relationship with God forces you into relationship with his people. And it cleanses us from all sin. So, that's pursuing righteousness. Let's talk about this exposure of sin. If we have fellowship with him, we are real about our sin. We expose our sin. Let's look at verses 8 and 10. It says this, he says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sin, verse 10, uh, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So we're lying when we say we don't have sin in here internally. And we're lying when we say we don't actually practice sin. Both are lies. And when he says that it's a lie to say that you have not sinned, there's pretty much virtually nobody in the world who would actually say that I've never made a mistake. I don't think that's what John's talking about. I think he's talking about, once again, saying the same thing about your sin that God does. That's what the word confession simply means, to say the same thing about your sin that God does. Exposing our sins, and it's clear from Genesis 3, That when we sin, the cousin to sin is secrecy. The very first effect of sin was not pain and labor. The very first effect of sin was privacy. That we want to hide ourselves. They hid themselves from God, hiding behind a tree. Adam and Eve hid themselves from one another putting clothes on. Privacy is the first effect of sin. And so what God does in his people when the light actually hits us, when we come into true relationship with God, is he reverses the very first effect of sin. I can't tell you how encouraged I've been to walk in life groups. And see, those who, who never would want to talk about the ugliness of their heart beginning to expose themselves. We celebrate miracles of healing. We celebrate all the miracles of somebody saving God saving someone's life from a, a, a terrible tragedy. But that is an incredible miracle that we who would, would only want to be secret about our sin are willing to expose it to brothers and sisters without fear of judgment and condemnation. That's an act of God. I was uh, thinking about this. I said, you you know, as humans, when we sin and we're not walking in fellowship with him, the first thing we want to do is protect ourselves. Ain't that crazy? I was, uh, I don't know if you guys saw the cop who tased the young man wrongfully. Um, The young man turned out not to be the guy he was looking for he tased him twice. And I'm not talking about just what he did wrong. I don't want to go all the way into that, bring up more wounds. But I was looking at his response to it. That instead of looking the man in the face and saying, I was wrong, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? Instead, he would rather protect himself at the expense of the defamation of the other young man. You know how angry that made me? As I watched that, and I began to say, that's how it is! And then God was like, check your heart, bro. Check your heart, Recap, Because doesn't that look a lot like you? When you knowingly sin against your wife and say something to her, at the wrong time, in the wrong way. And it, you get that liar liar syndrome. You know the movie Jim Carrey? He can't seem to lie. Well, I can't seem to say I'm so, 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 so. <laughs> wow. I was, babe, I'm sorry. I was, Hard for us to say I was wrong. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I repent. but because of God's faithfulness and justice, we have been forgiven if we would but confess it. Jesus paid it all. There's no drop left for us to have to hold on to. And so why? if we're walking in fellowship with him, won't we just repent? And confess? Verse 9, it says these beautiful truths, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not just to forgive us, but also to cleanse us, make us whole. And it all stems upon the fact that God is faithful and just. Faithful meaning he is relentlessly committed to us who are sinners. Dedication. And then just meaning he's relentlessly committed to sinlessness. Now, you got to ask the question, if we are sinners and he's relentlessly committed to us and he's also committedly, I mean, relentlessly committed to sinlessness, how can we somehow harmonize all these? And it only happens at the cross of Jesus Christ, where the person who was sinless, who never sinned as we did, who was tempted in every single way just as you and worse. Stretched and stretched and stretched and never gave in. Continuously did everything to please his father. That guy was killed on a cross. The worst evil in the world now becomes the greatest act of redemption ever. We have forgiveness because he is faithful and just to cleanse us and forgive us. And so we can walk in the light and freedom because that God has raised them from the dead and said to each and every one of us that we have been forgiven and we are cleansed in the righteousness of Christ. So, I want to end with this. I'm so convinced now that all this passage wants to say to us is that if we try to cover our sin, God will expose it. But if we expose our sin, God will cover it. Amen. Amen. Like I'm convinced that when we don't confess our sins to one another, the person who conceals their sin has probably not yet taken it to the cross. We talk all the time about, well, yeah, I repented in my prayer closet between me and God. That's between me and him. But I'm telling you that the one who conceals their sin probably hasn't taken it to the cross because if it's already been dealt with, what do you have to be scared of? This is beautiful this illustration here. Uh, Mammy Till, um, the, the mom of Emma Till, who was beaten bloody to death because he looked... Supposedly at a white woman the wrong way. It pretty much sparked, pretty much sparked the civil rights movement. And at his funeral, his mom makes a conscious decision to leave the casket open for viewing. Knowing that the last sight of her son would be not him playing ball in the streets, but would be him beaten and mutilated. So she was asked, why did you make that decision? Why would you leave his casket open for the whole world to see? She said these words. She said, I wanted the world to see what they did to my baby. She wanted the world to see what they had done to her son. Well, don't you know 2,000 years later, not a mother but a father Watched as his son was beaten. And Isaiah 52 says, beyond human semblance. Watched as he was whipped. Watched as he was mocked. Watched as he was spat on. Watched as he was cursed out. Watched as he was naked and exposed before the evil hearts of people. Watched as he was crucified. Watched as he died. And he allowed him to be raised up on this cross. To die publicly so that you no longer have to live in secrecy. You walk in the light and not walk in the shadows. He's already taken all of the punishment publicly so that you don't have to hide anything. Find someone. Confess your sins. John says that it brings us into deeper relationship with one another. Hidden sin is only coddling it, not killing it. And let's walk in the light and pursue Jesus Christ in the way that displays our ever-present love for all that he's done for us. Let's do this with relentless pursuit in the same way that he pursued us. Amen? Amen? Amen. Father, thank you so very much for your grace to us that because you were crucified publicly, we no longer have to live in secrecy. And it didn't end there, but you rose from the dead. And Paul says that you were seen by over 500 witnesses. Publicly rose from the dead with all victory and life in your hands. How dare we not walk in you, near to you, abiding in you? Forgive us, God. And we thank you that every single time with our hearts, and even when we mess up and can't figure out to what to ask for repentance for, You forgive us because of the work of your son, Jesus Christ. Sins, past, present, and future. So we love you for this truth, and we honor you. And it's all in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.